0: Welcome to the Midlife Pilot Podcast. We are glad you're with us. What is it like to become a pilot in your 40s and 50s? The challenges are unique for those of us in midlife, but so are the rewards. Hosts Ben, Brian, and Ted talk learning to fly, growing as pilots, and the joy of flying to destinations. The purpose of the podcast is not to teach, but to share knowledge and experiences of being a midlife pilot. Join the midlife pilot community and listen in every week. We are not CFIs or particularly intelligent, so if you want to learn how to fly, talk to to anyone else other than the hosts of a podcast. Even this intro was too challenging for us, and we used a robot to do it. Okay, checklists are complete. Let's get the show started.
1: Welcome to episode 57 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. Broadcasting live on YouTube this Monday evening, I am sitting here in beautiful, wet, cold, rainy Portland, Oregon with my friend Ted. Welcome uh everybody. Brian,
0: hello. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I just uh I was just thinking since it's so easy to make an AI intro, maybe if people like that, we can do a different one every week cuz it really takes about 8 seconds of effort to do it. Um that was hilarious. I really did like that one. That was I, I I am willing to
1: experiment, but uh that one was really for a first shot out of the the cannon. That was a really
0: good one. It's. i just uh, i always uh enjoy how awkward some of the phrasing can be even with such sophisticated um tools you know it's it's so close right but it's just not there so, so anyway just, that's what i like about it well we're glad to have everybody join us um
1: we are going to be talking about a couple of different things tonight, but we thought we'd start off. Um, Ted and I had a quite an adventurous day today. Uh, you want to start us off with Ted with where, sure. where you drugged me around
2: to <laughs> all day long? No <laughs> drugs were involved, I promise. But yeah, so uh, Ben flew commercial from Atlanta to Portland, and which means that you had like the epic long day and picked Ben up from the airport. We saw the the. Uh, the lines of people waiting for uh, all the all the delays because of some some uh, problems with the seven thirty seven Max lately. So, uh, but yeah, so we went and drove across town and uh, let's see, we hit a McMenamins and then we went out to went out to my plane. And the weather here is what you expect in the Northwest. Let me stop you there. Yep. Um, their
1: restaurants not only serve really outstanding food, but everything in this restaurant was. Had like significant historical meaning to it. This was an old roadhouse, and like all of the wood, everything in it—it it just smelled like history, for better or for worse. But the food was really really good. Um, it, it and it, the the scenery, the the plant, the yeah. the trees, everything around it felt like you were transported back to another time.
2: It was a really really cool spot. It felt like you're at the bottom of a of a canyon. It's like it's just lush and. Yeah, so so we went there and we were looking at, at the metars from my airport, which is down the road, and realized um, the uh, the ceilings were somewhere between the top of my arm and my elbow. They were uh, they were a little low, so we just went out looked at the plane, and then we went on a big journey. Went from there, saw the little Twin Oaks Airport. Uh, almost drove down it, the airport itself or the runway itself. Then we went up and over the mountains and went to McMinnville. Where we saw an airplane that Ted's
1: plane could fit into the cockpit of the plane that we (laughs) went and saw. Uh, We went and saw the uh, Spruce Goose. Spruce Goose. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, pictures just don't do it justice. This massive behemoth. It was it was really amazing. Um, Literally, I think we could put Ted's plane into the cockpit of, of this thing. It was just so massive. But yeah, yeah, it was a lot lot of fun. Excellent
0: adventure, Ben and Ted's excellent adventure. Exactly, that's exactly
2: what it was today. Yeah, and so we we you know Ben was paying, so we paid extra and did the uh, the cockpit tour, which I'd never done. Um, Actually, my partner's done it, and I'd never I'd never done it. But we got the uh, the personal tour, go up the stairs, go in, sit down uh, at uh, at the pilot station and at the uh, definitely non flying co pilot station. Yeah, it was uh, it was. Quite alarming. So Howard Hughes, obviously this big ego,
1: he had every dial, every switch surrounding his seat. And the co-pilot had like three dials and two switches. And that was all in a yoke. And that was all that was there. So, uh, it was, it was quite, quite interesting. There's a picture. Yeah. You can oh, see.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: You yeah. see all the, that whole console next to Ted. That's where Howard Hughes sat. Yeah.
2: And, and wow. Ben has like the backup instruments, you know, it's yeah. like he has a six
1: pack and that's it. I have like a little lever that I can pull for hydraulics. And that was yeah. really it. You
2: know, what was interesting is the uh, both the stations had the engine controls and there's eight engines. So there's eight levers. They're connected. they are about six feet apart. And so I was curious if they were connected or not. And but they were labeled in a in a very strange order. It was like E. H. H. E. E-H, yeah. H. There were three E's and four H's and one that was blank. Right.
1: Yeah. So it's hydraulic, uh, that engine control either the hydraulics or the electrical
2: system. So that's what the, those. Uh, so if you're going to le- shut down an engine, don't shut down all your electric engines <laughs> or the, the power of the electric, or
1: don't yeah. shut them all down that have uh, hydraulics because that was what's powering your flight controls.
2: So, that was, that was interesting. The other thing that I got out of it that I've never gotten out of it before was um, the docent pointed out the wing spars in this thing. It's about the only place that there's big metal in, in the plane. And it's like, you, <laughs> you see the wing spars, you're like, oh, okay, this is holding a, a big chunk together. He, he said
1: 80% of the plane was made of wood, and the 20% metal, and outside of the wing spars, it was the frames for the windows were the only other metal pieces yeah. on the plane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. It's just again, until you see it in person, words can't describe it.
2: And he didn't want to call it it, but it's it's all, uh, what we would call plywood. Yeah, it's high end plywood. It is.
1: They had their own uh, doping. How they glued it all together. They had their own formula, which wouldn't be allowed today because they used uh, formaldehyde. Yeah. But there's (laughs) been no um, delamination whatsoever. Since they built it in
2: 1945, and and they told us, um, and th- again, one of these things that doesn't mean anything until you're a pilot, which was his people kept it in flyable condition. What does flyable condition mean? It means he calls and says he's an hour from the airport. It's less than an hour to get that thing flying for like 30 years. Yeah, like, can you imagine the the kind of condition it would need to be in to? It's it's not well, you know, it's mothball, we'll get we'll get it up in a week. It's no, this thing's ready to go. Yeah.
0: Wow. Crazy stuff. And the question is Ben, did um did Ted's CTLS also smell like history? <laughs> no. Um
1: it it still kinda has that new plane smell to it with the new avionics and the it it actually um yeah, it it it's it's
2: looking really good. Wow. It it it's exactly what you'd expect for a plastic egg, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's that new plastic smell. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> like you just pull the wrapper off of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so what are we getting into tonight, fellas? Do we have? uh, I guess we have. Do we have any feedback? We we I know we've I've seen some come through, right? We there was some feedback. Um, you talk for a minute, I'll get it. Yeah,
1: and we also have a new supporter. And I can pull it up on my phone here in a minute.
0: <laughs> I feel like yeah, I'm the teacher that's like asking I you. Know. I well, know. We're well, we out of our
2: element <laughs> Wait, right now. So I was, was going to say, say, I think we'll do the feedback and stuff next week. And because it's like, this is, we're just, we're just off the cuff today.
0: All right. Actually. I realized the tax
2: saturation. Yeah, tax saturation. <laughs> great way to put it.
0: Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, I have a computer. I'm, I was going to yeah. say, you could help us out here. Um,
1: one of the things, or there's a couple of things we wanted to talk about today. Um, some guy named Brian Siskin posted on our Discord server, or he published his personal minimums. And it really started uh, a great discussion. So, we kind of wanted to get into that. And, and it's different for somebody with a few more hours. Um, But it's still an important discussion, and it's still something that I do think about. Uh, And then there was another topic that um, we might, if we have time for, uh, that was also brought up regarding uh, having a a dry spell, so to speak, or a period where you haven't flown. And, you know, what what do you do in that scenario, especially when we get into these winter months (laughs) where we get a lot of foul weather? Um, I got to tell you, Brian. I was I've known about this trip for a while, and I looked at the forecast. And every day here is exactly the same. It is overcast and raining, and 45 every single day for the next ten days.
2: H- the highest 47, lowest 44. Dew point is right around there somewhere. It's all yeah. You don't the dew point to is much. due. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. So anyway, but it, it's that time of the year where there's going to yeah. be yeah. less flying going on. Yeah. Or annuals and whatever the situation may be. So we thought we'd uh, touch on that today.
2: Yeah. Right so uh, I've got a couple of of the minimums documents pulled up. And one thing that people tend to do or some people do during during training is there's a an AOPA personal minimums document and you can fill it out. There's fill in the blanks, which makes it easier as a as a student pilot. Fill in the blanks of what your minimums are and then your CFI can sign it. That's that's a pretty good thing, by the way. That is great for your check for your check ride binder, and that is great to have for your check ride because you need okay. to have thought through that by that point. Question to the to
0: the uninitiated, or perhaps people that are considering training and haven't maybe gotten used to these terms. What are personal minimums? Great
1: question, and I'm glad you're bringing it back down. And why are they called minimums? Yeah, so we have listeners, part of the feedback that we've got that we'll get to next week are people that are just interested in flying. So minimums are a hard set of rules that you will not fly in, and they are varied and wide. But generally speaking, we're talking about the cloud coverage. uh, The lowest level of the layer of clouds needs to be above a certain level above the ground. Um, There are wind, crosswind minimums and headwind minimums for that matter. Um, Visibility is a part of it. You need to have X amount of visibility, forward visibility to go fly. And what you do is is you say, I am not going to fly when the ceilings are below, the cloud layer is below 2,000 feet above ground level. And I will not fly if there is a 15-knot crosswind component. If any of these things are above your minimums, then it is a very easy decision to say, "No, I'm not going today." Yeah, uh, I don't have to fly, as you like to say, Brian, and I agree with it 100. There, none of us are required to fly.
2: Yeah, so I, I've got uh, Brian's checkride document pulled up here, and before uh,
1: before
0: oh. we get into it, can I just say one thing? Yeah. Um, I think what's important for maybe those who just aren't very clear on this yet, or it's a little bit new to them. And I think it's something interesting for us that maybe have our certificates or have done a little flying, right. To think about, I think that this is important to talk about, not just because it's important to have limitations for yourself that you stick to, that you can think about, you know, in a clear fashion while you're on the ground and, you know, all of that we'll get into, but, but I think it's also In training, at least, and at least in my training, it's a loosely talked about thing. And I felt like in my training, I had to go above and beyond to adopt them. I mean, of course they gave me minimums, right? When you get, you get your first solo done and then now you can go check out the plane. Your instructor is going to say, okay, your crosswind minimums are five knots or seven knots or whatever. They're, but they're very low resolution um limitations to what you can do, but it just kind of introduces you to the idea of personal minimums. But I, at least I did not get a lot of training that was very resolute with that. And then what I realized after training and then starting to uh, fly, there's two things. One is, and I know we're going to touch on this, which is how do you expand or grow those minimums? Because now all of a sudden you're not under the guise of a CFI anymore. Right. So you're just kind of responsible for yourself. And it that's a weird position to be in when you're really just trying to wrap your head around the fact that you have a pilot certificate and that you can fly much less now I'm the arbiter of these rules. Right. That's a whole kind of a uh, mind trip. And then the other part of it is um, there is not a lot of resolution, like I said, to the minimums, Construct, it starts off very basic, which it should. And like most things do, crosswinds, like you're saying, Ben, ceilings, visibility. But once you get out there and you're responsible for your own minimums, you realize this is a lot more dynamic or needs more resolution, I think, to be as helpful as it can be. And again, we are not CFIs and talk to your own instructor or anybody uh, more qualified than us about how to. You know, we're just telling you our experiences, but I guess the point is that I'm trying to get across is I found the baseline construct for personal minimums on the outset of getting my certificate being very uh, weak and not robust enough to to account for all of the minutia and the nuance of what flying conditions really are. I I agree with that, and I
1: you you made a, a really excellent point in my opinion we are our own arbiters of the rules and we set these rules for a very specific reason that if we exceeded these minimums then we're not flying and there's a reason for that but to your point it is a you start off on the ground level and you're doing some very basic ones and then how do you expand it and we we can we can talk about that but um It's a lot of times it happens by accident. Sometimes it happens on purpose or sometimes you have a CFI with you and you want to go and experience a specific crosswind of 15 knots. And that's a great
2: opportunity to do that, to build, to increase your minimums. I, when I was in training, the the things that were most interesting, I think, looking back was the times when I was working on my CFI's uh, personal minimums, not mine. Going uh, going on flying with under three miles of, of visibility that that taught me why uh, as a as a young pilot, three miles of visibility is not is not what it's gonna be. My mine needed to be higher than that at that point. And things like that were were it was like, oh, these are great reminders of why I'm not <laughs> why I'm not I'm I'm not qualified.
1: Um, an, Another good example, when I was just a private pilot, I did a night flight and I experienced going. I was above a cloud layer, but I didn't know the clouds were there. I remember looking out the window, seeing lights on the ground, and then all of a sudden those lights disappeared. And that freaked me out a little bit. So it was at that point where I established new minimums for night flying, making sure that there are no cloud layers whatsoever um, until I got an instrument rating. So y- y- you're developing your minimums as you go along, and you also expand your minimums as you go along. Um, I had uh, a rule, a personal minimum of the, the ceiling after I'd got, I'm sorry, let me take a step back. After I'd gotten my FAR certification, I wanted the ceilings to be at least 500 feet above minimums. And then I come back from Nashville with this guy here, and we flew it down to minimums. I had another pilot in the plane with me. I had help. I felt confident in it. And then after we executed it, I, I felt okay. I could do that.
2: I think there's some some good comments that I um, that I want to get to here. Um, Dog geek earlier said. One, one great example of, of your personal minimums is what, what's a situation where if you were in the air with that, you'd really wish you were on the ground instead. And I think that's a good way to put it is before you get in that situation where that might happen to you, how, how are you going to keep yourself out of that situation? Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I
0: remember in my check ride. When I I was so proud to show the DP that I'd really worked on these minimums and kind of presented them as part of my I'm going to try to impress you package and uh and I for whatever reason I I don't know I had f- uh, five miles visibility as my minimum <laughs> he just looked at me he said have you flown in five miles visibility and it was you know one of those kind of and the fact was I I had because I was I was training during all the fires. <laughs> So, yeah. uh, I basically did a bunch of my first solos in IMC. <laughs> I just didn't know that that's what it was. <laughs> uh, it wasn't IMC, but it was, there was, it's, you know, yeah. it it's was really re- weird. Yeah. It was real bad. And so, um, but that's, that's a good point, right? Like it's hard to even conceive of, it's one thing to imagine these things on the ground. You have to actually go out and, and experiment and set those. So maybe we can talk. Like so, so Ben, like, how did you expand your crosswind minimums over time? Um, the
1: crosswinds kind of came by accident in that, you know, here's the forecast: um, landing at McCollum on one run one run, <laughs> ugh, Sorry, runway two seven, and the winds are three hundred at ten knots. Well, they were actually three thirty at 12 knots and i got it down on the ground i actually did p- fairly well um and i know that because um earlier i was known in our tower as the wind check guy <laughs> every final i'm coming in on i'm asking <laughs> for the winds. they're like still zero bad <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. he, uh, so it, it happens at, at sometimes accidentally and and sometimes you do it on purpose with somebody more experienced than you in the right seat yeah to make sure you're staying safe the the other aspect of it that I do to help expand my personal minimums is to make sure that I have outs i I've produced three videos on my channel and one of them is on this very subject um you need to have um airports that are well, within your minimums that you can land at. Um, I, I was fortunate going through my pilot journey. I have four airports and each runway is oriented to where there would be no crosswind whatsoever. I could I always had an out. They were north, south, east, west, northeast, southeast, northwest, southwest. So you, you see what I'm saying? I said that backwards, but you get my point. Yeah. I could always had a had a place to land without having to worry about a crosswind. Yeah. Um. So that was an, an out for me. So if you want to expand, make sure that if you do get yourself into a situation that you're not comfortable, you have another place to go or another route to go or a, a plan B.
2: So, th- so there were some personal minimums published in, in discord that are, that are different from, what the AOPA says. And I think that there's some interesting things in there that are things that you think about once you start flying for a little while, which is what's your day versus your night visibility. What's your um, pattern work visibility. What's your less than 25 mile visibility, or sorry, ceilings. Um, what are your cross country ceilings? And uh, I noticed that I'm looking at two here and both Brian and Alyssa have, have short and long cross countries split out. And it's, it's interesting to me, um, because those are, those are the kinds of things that, that you learn as you fly a little more, where you're like, you know what? If I'm going a long way, I, it's actually more important that, that the ceilings are high. And, uh, instead of just, I won't leave the pattern unless it's X, it's expanding that out of what, what those situations are. Yeah. I found for,
0: for me, on, on mine at least. And, you know, I think, uh, I think that Alyssa sort of borrowed maybe f- from mine a little bit, but they're different. You know, she thought of some things that I hadn't really thought of. That's what I like about sharing, sharing personal minimums is you start to realize, Oh, wow, that's something I haven't really thought of or named for myself or declared. And so you keep finding new, new things to do for that. But, but for me, I, I mean, mine started with kind of a, um, cause, I, I think that with minimums it's good to predicate everything with the idea of like sort of setting the tone. So for mine, it starts off with, uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but um, I don't, it basically says n- sort of right out of the gate. Uh, number one, I don't have to, I never have to fly. It just sort of, it, it's dialing down the, I think that when you're looking at conditions that are right up against your minimums, the first thing, at least that I do to remind myself of what I feel like is most important is to realize I don't have to do anything ever. <laughs> I don't care if I'm stuck somewhere. It doesn't matter. Like whatever, like just, we're a midlife pilots. We are not doing this. Typically, most of us are not doing this for jobs and you know, we don't have screaming passengers that have paid us and so we don't have to do anything so i i think it's important really to kind of set the tone at least for me it was like uh, as a mentality so that's what i did um but yes you're right Ted, like when you get into um the specifics the the type of flight means a lot the nature of the flight the length of the flight I even got into, um, you know, going back to kind of crosswinds for a minute. I want to kind of stay on that if we can, cause Ben, I really like where where you're going with that. Um, I worked it out where I have crosswind minimums that are broken up by the type of runway, uh, the width of the runway, because if I'm landing on a you know, Ted, you land on a lot of really narrow runways. So yeah. in your brain, you're doing that calculus, whether you realize it, you're you're not just thinking, well, my minimums are, you know, 15 knots or whatever. So send it, uh, you know, you have to be thinking about maybe I shouldn't go to that place. If it's more, if it's a, a 50 foot runway and perhaps there's trees on either side, pretty close or whatever, then you go, okay. You know, so I did it by width of the runway, you know, um, yeah. Just to give myself some more resolution there. It doesn't mean that, like I said, every cir- it, every circumstance can change. So, these minimums, right, they become the rule of law for yourself. But can we be honest with ourselves that yeah. you get into situations where you rationalize the situation and you perhaps exceed them? Sometimes those are perfectly good situations to test you know, if your crosswind minimums are say 13 knots and here you are up against one that's 14 or 15, that's one thing. But you're doing that because, well, I traveled to this place and I just need to get down versus I actually went out thoughtfully in a nice, consistent, direct crosswind and did 13 landings. And all of them, I felt in total control. Therefore, now, so with respect to crosswind landings, Ben, what do you think about that kind of resolution? And then, how do you grow those those crosswind landings in a way that makes sense? So, um, we don't. When we get our certificate, we don't know what we don't know,
1: and so that's why those personal minimums are important because we don't really know what we're getting ourselves into, and that's where people get themselves into trouble. But as we expand our experience. And we go up in the pattern like you did, and you bang out a bunch of crosswind landings. You gain that experience, and you gain that confidence, and then you check the box. Yes, I will now do a 15-nut crosswind landing because you've built up the experience in it. Uh, Sometimes it has to be purposeful like you've done it, and taking up uh, a safety pilot or just someone else with more experience or CFI, whoever maybe that's what you need to do to build the confidence uh if if you don't have it within you at that point in time sometimes at, you, you do it by accident we you're on a long cross country and you've got unforecasted winds you can do a low approach and if you don't feel stable you can go around and find another airport with a different runway configuration that won't be so much of a crosswind there's it, it reminds me of the nobody cares fly in when Ted and I were getting ready to leave and you were with us and we were talking to that, uh, Honda jet pilot. He's like, you've got three airports that are marginal VFR. Yours is IFR. Why don't you just go down there and take a look and see worst case scenario is you go, you go missed and you go to one of these other airports. That's kind of the idea of how you expand your, 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 your personal
2: minimums. The, the, the phrase that he is, I think was take a look and that it's, it's, that could either catch you or uh in a bad way or be a good thing, depending on how you think about it, right? Because you can you can justify going into any situation like, well, I'll give it a shot. Right. No matter if it's over my minimum. But the reality is you go into it just like you talk about your flying, which is this is optional. I'm gonna try to get in this airport. If not, that's fine. I have plenty of places to go. Or right. not start at the flight, right? I think these are different also is starting the flight and being in it. I, I agree with that hundred yeah. percent. You got to have
1: your outs. I'm not taking the flight. So my personal minimums are more of a three strike rule. I, it, I am not going to take a flight if I'm going to be in IMC the entire way. Uh, if significant icing is involved, um, if crosswind component is going to be more than 15 knots, any one of those, I can find another out, but if all three hit, then I'm not flying. I don't need to go. The other thing I was going to say, um, I recently expanded my personal minimums. I used to say, if there's icing in the forecast, I'm not flying. But on my recent trip to um, St. Simons um, for the New Year's break, I talked to my wife about this before she ever got into the plane. I said, there's a thin layer of clouds we're probably going to pick up some light or trace rime. And as long as we can poke through it and get on top of it, I'm okay with that. And I actually talked to my brother-in-law who has flown and accumulated some ice on the plane in the past. He says, as long as it doesn't get thick, heavy, thick rime, you know, moderate icing, that plane flies great. And so, but you know, I had never experienced it myself. So I did it. And we accumulated some on the struts and about, the, the cloud, we could see blue skies and cracks of, of this, this cloud layer. So, I knew it was thin. I'm climbing at 1,100, 1,200 feet per minute. This cloud deck was probably 400, 500 feet thick. So, I was going to be in it for a very short period of time. And I allowed myself to expand my minimums to say, you know what?
2: This is going to be fine. Um, That also, uh, you said that the ceilings for that were high. You have 3,000 feet before you hit the thin layer. That's right. So you're not flying 200 feet off the ground and into it. That's right. You, yeah. Right. The bases were at
1: 3,000 and then went up from there. So if something did happen for whatever reason, we could still turn around and come back uh, and get in very easily. So, you know, it, it's always, you're always building on your experience. And therefore, that's what allows you to expand your personal minimums. So my opinion.
2: I, I want to point some things out that we're in in uh Brian's rooms that that are interesting to think about. The one is uh th- there's always talk making it mandatory to file a flight plan or to get flight following for a length. But what I like that that Brian that you put in there is um file them when you're remote areas, let people know where you are and when to be concerned, right? That's that's the thing is I'll be checking in with you. I also use that of I may not be in radar coverage in that area or ADSB coverage. So just because that goes away doesn't mean it's a problem. I'll get in touch with you by such time. But the other thing that you put in there that I really liked was um second guess all your direct routing. Consider the proximity to airport, avoid areas difficult for rescuers. I was I was telling Ben about that today, which is I'll I'll choose some of my risk based on I'm going over part of a mountain. But I'm doing it in an area where there's a highway, so I can crash close to a highway. Not, this is not a great situation. But the idea is that you're crashing near somebody that can find you, not 50 miles away from from anywhere. And yeah, yeah, I think there's just a lot of minimums that are not about
0: numeric values around yeah specifications of flight, and I I have just rules. That I've thought of, that I just kind of wrote down, you know, and and um, yeah, I think that you know, and we've talked a lot about cross country planning, especially for those that are, you know, low hour and just getting out there, and it's very nerve wracking, and you know, um, uh, I've come a long way with it. Ben was incredibly helpful to me, and has always been one of the people that I call. Well, you know, um, yeah. or run a flight plan by, and I'll still do that, you know, with uh with you or any number of people. Um, But I learned early on that the training mentality just doesn't really um, inspire you to do really... Again, it's about this kind of resolution, like resolute flight planning. Thinking a little bit beyond uh, direct inner-inner and waypoints and those kind of things. And when you really start getting into being... When you're really getting out there, you have to be thinking about... You know, it took me getting stuck at an airport that only had a portage on, uh, you know, to go, okay, maybe what I should do is, uh, limit. I mean, it still would have happened, you know, but I'm just saying it just, it just kind of made me think, well, what if I was not with a group of pilots that all had planes that I could get a ride out of there and I would have been stuck there. And like, what would I have done if I was by myself, you know, um, and, uh, you know, my flight planning now tends to revolve around a lot of deltas and a lot of, you know, um or if it's on tower, they've got, they've still got a lot of facilities, you know, I'm, I'm really, mind- I'm, I'm really mindful of, man, but okay. But what happens if I go there and we get a flat tire, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay. What, what is that going to mean in reality? So uh anyway, so I just, yeah, I've done a bunch of stuff like that. Um, I think some of the quick points I can hit about other things that I added to mine were, uh, I had some specific things about VFR over the top. Um, just reminding myself that I have to have ground contact, um, you know, w- within some kind of like with, within some kind of site. I think Alyssa added to hers and said, if I'm seeing, like I have to be able to see from one gap to the next, you know, it's essentially yeah. what I'm saying. Never, here.
2: never pass one hole unless the
0: next hole is in sight. yeah yeah Yeah. and um and then also just reminding myself that you know freezing it it, we can't be i'm not going to be dealing with freezing level uh if i'm over the top you know so um because i'm not i'm not even uh ifr so um so that's i think that's a thing
2: i think um let's see there was some conversation in the live chat about um other ways to think about it instead of personal minimums is how do you expand into cross country flying? And one way of doing that is by having outs during your cross country. Uh, Grizzly said that, and I think somebody else echoed that, but right and and I definitely do that. i because of our weather, i'll I'll do things where a lot of it is based on if the weather is improving or getting worse. and uh, if i'm if I'm leaving at at seven a m, and things are still burning off and it's 2000 feet. Um, I feel a lot better about that than if it's, uh, 4000 feet ceilings and things are coming in and that, yeah. you know, so some I don't know, there's, there's so many ways you can, you can that's slice a, and dice this. That's a big part of my three strike rule. If the yeah. weather is in.
1: Uh, declining, then I'm not taking the flight. If it's improving, then I will take the flight. But
0: yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's just a lot of resolution. That's just not there, but you, I mean, you have to have some baselines, but you know, one right. Geek's geek saying here, honestly, the idea of VFR over the top scares the crap out of me. He, you know, one geek has far more experience and ratings than I do. And I do that. And I'm not scared by that, but he is, but here's the difference is I guess it's about the resolution. It's about the details. It's about the nuances I will not just go send it over an infinite plateau of clouds. That's not really what I'm talking about. You know, w- the reason why I got more comfortable with that was I did a trip where I had to really, really understand the weather before I left in a deep way You know, along. You know, I was going to Fort Smith, Arkansas three hour leg and it was all going to be basically right on the edge of, you know, all clouds kind of to one side and then, 90% to 80% clouds on the other side. And I was sort of right on the, uh, the way I worded it. it was sort of like the edge of the carpet. And, and uh, as long as I could continue to see right there that I've got plenty of holes that I can go into, even though I'm starting to try to go this way, like uh, that's fine. Right. I still consider that VFR of the top because I, it, it's not about just it being an absolute, uh, you know, fully uh, overcast, infinite view um i would not do that Uh, and that's kind of what i'm saying in my in my in my document here is that if there's holes if as long as i can see one one escape to the next i i I feel good about going and also what you're talking about ben like i'm also aware enough of the context of the weather to understand that things are only going to be improving right based on everything that's going on and it's not like man i'm going to keep sending it into the dark or something you know yeah right i had one
2: where it was a lot of clouds where I was taking off, but I was going 500 miles. And after the first 100 miles, I could go from hopping holes to being in the clear. And again, I guess that's the like, well, things are improving. Um, and by the way, a, a quirk about sport pilot that might be interesting. There's, there's some chat about being over the top with no holes. Um, sport pilot. That's not allowed. You have to have visual reference to the ground, which you can interpret a lot of ways. It can be, I see one mountain above the clouds, right? There's, there's plenty of ways to, to interpret that, but there, it's, it's a, it's a way to think about it, which is your minimum being, I will not go over the top so much that there is no way down. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I'd be, I don't know. I, I'd be willing. I, I guess I'm a little bit less or nothing than than Mark is on it, than Wendell Geek is on it. Um, but I guess there's just a lot of situations about it. Well, uh,
0: Wendell Geek did clarify, now that he's instrument rated, that does not scare him. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: I guess and that makes sense. So I think there's a couple other things that we've, that we've kind of um, hinted at. But number one is publishing these is a, is a form of accountability, right? Um, another thing you can do with that is... Um, either sharing your planning or sharing the ADM that you chose to make to someone who will keep you honest with it and, yes, and say, I went past my minimums or I was close to them. Let's talk through it. Um And the other thing is, uh, um uh, Cheapskate Aviation, Nathan, who was in here earlier, but he, he said in the past, something that, that sticks with me, which is you modify your personal minimums for your next flight. You You don't, you don't change them for the flight you're on. And that's right. a decent way to put it, too. It's it's a decent way to think about it and about keeping yourself honest to it. <clears throat> I, I, our Discord server um, it, it is a great
1: forum for those that are listening to this podcast um, that um, you, you can get this kind of feedback from. There's a lot of great discussions on it. So email us at midlife pilot podcast at gmail.com and uh, we'll send you an invite and uh, we'd love to to discuss it with you and and i will say this as well brian i kind of geek out with the weather planning and the route planning especially the route planning so when you did call me up i i loved it because (laughs) it it brought me back to the days of these long cross countries as a VFR pilot and and how you look at it. And I still go to Stuart, my brother-in-law and ask him, all right, I asked him about the icing. I didn't think it was going to be that bad. He absolutely agreed with me and he's been in that plane in more severe icing than I was in. It wasn't severe. There was, but it was more than what I was in. So, I mean, I, I encourage you to, for those in the audio, world if you have a mentor if you have somebody that has more experience feel free to reach out to them and just talk through it um i had somebody to do that with and i'm happy to do that for other people
0: yeah if you email us uh at midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com we will give you ben's personal cell number yes (laughs) and you can uh he prefers texting he likes to text he likes to get a lot of texts so everybody can just text Ben and ask him questions.
1: I'll respond 24 hours. hours a day. Just whenever <laughs> you feel it, just, uh, just reach
0: out. But, um, uh, so I was just going to say, um, we, we, we got to turn the corner here, but, um, uh, I just wanted to thank you, Ben specifically for, uh, helping me at that crucial stage. And and I just want to reiterate that if people if you have a person you trust, uh, then utilize them. Uh, if you don't, then, uh, find one. And then you ultimately always have an instructor or somebody that you can pay <laughs> to, to be smarter than you are.
1: Um, I enjoy it. And we've all been in the situation where somebody is smarter than us. So that doesn't make me any more special, but uh, I was happy to do it. And again, I enjoy that type stuff. Um, we got some more feedback if we're ready to turn the corner, as you said. Yeah. Um, that I thought was very interesting, and it opened up uh, an interesting conversation. And that is, what what do you do when you've gone a long time without flying? Uh, your plane is an annual, or you have a cat on your shoulder, <laughs> um, or you're in foul weather and um, you, you're unable to fly. Getting back in the saddle, I guess, is is kind of the way we do it. And um, you know, when when I we were getting new bladders put in our plane, we were down for sixty five days, I think it was, mm-hmm. and it was in summer, so it wasn't weather related. And uh, I called up my buddy in South Georgia, and I was like, you know, it's been sixty five days. Any advice? And he said, read every line of the checklist. Don't skip over anything. Get yourself back in the groove. Even if you do all the items on your checklist, read it anyway that gets you back in the mindset that you were in before. And and I'll have to say, probably three of my best landings that I did in the circuit after getting those new bladders was not having flown. I, I think I forgot all my bad habits, but um <laughs> kind of like my golf swing. If I don't play for two months, I play a lot better than if I play all the time.
2: So Yeah, this this really Opened a a big discussion in, in Discord today. And, uh, and it was great because it's something, uh, there was some talk about the breaks that we've had and us three talked about on the show, uh, last week, the week before about what our longest dry spells were last year. And the thing is, it's going to happen. Right. And it's what, how do you deal with it when you come back? And for me, the, the, as you get out of training, you can handle a longer break. In training, a week off was tough. I've, oh yeah, and I just may as well repeat a lesson at that point. Uh, where now I can go a month and not and be okay. And I I remember how to land. I guess is a, is a way to put that. But there was a there was a lot of comments on there, and there's there's some real talk. Should you grab a CFI? And I think that it's kind of like minimums. Maybe you should. It it depends how you feel about it, really, right? Do you, uh, do you feel comfortable to, to go up flying alone after a break? That's only, you know, that, and that's why I think this is an interesting topic because this is so related to minimums, uh, to personal minimums. Yeah. Um, and, and the, there was, there was a lot of variety in, in that thread about, uh, well, is it, is it like riding a bicycle or is it, is it not, is it? Yeah. obviously Is it's so it, situational too,
0: right um like by the way i think
2: it's bicycle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I think it's i think it's interesting that you can almost fold these things into each other you know yeah. you could theoretically write down personal minimums about if i haven't flown for you know you're the one that has this experience and you're the one that knows how you feel and as you grew gain more experience like you said ted you that Golf gets made up a lot quicker or the skills don't leave you quite as much or whatever. Or maybe it would just take longer for that to degrade. But, you know, we're getting into the nuance of currency versus proficiency and all those things. But theoretically, you could have a personal minimum that says, um, if I haven't flown for more than 30 days, then, you know, X, um, either that's I fly with the CFI, make sure I'm good, or it's I go up by myself and I do these tasks or i don't know it it can be any number of things but i do like the idea i tend to not want to take any passengers up that are not pilots oh yeah unless you know i always put that as sort of a uh a little higher priority thing of you know there's and and honestly without trying to backtrack us into the last topic that's a whole other thing too that you can really talk about in your personal minimums because there's a whole set of things that can happen while you're in the plane your your tolerance of turbulence or discomfort might be a lot greater because you trained in thermals all day or whatever but you might want to have even uh kind of minimums or thresholds established for flying with your spouse or with your you know family or or whatever to say you know if it's x y and z We're not going and you can extend the greatness of personal minimums and the lack of individual arbitration of everything on a daily basis and situational basis by saying, no, uh, family, we are not going because this is not, you know, you were not comfortable here. So we've drawn this line and then that's where it is. So I'm sorry. Uh, no, no Disneyland for you. And, um, me and your, me and your mom are just going to go and, your you kids can't, can't go. Yeah. Part of, um, the discussion was your gut
1: feeling. How do you feel about taking that flight? Mm. And and I feel like that I, I subscribe to that. I, I do trust my gut, but it was not until after so many hours till I built up a certain amount of experience to be able to trust my gut. Yep. And I really, Applied those personal minimums prior to that point. That until I had enough experience to really have a good feel for the situation, then um, yeah, I I, I would just apply to those.
2: I saw uh, Badger Pilot's comment in in Discord earlier today, and and there's some I could pick things out of everybody's comments because it's so good, but um, he says that he felt after he had gone away for 50 days that his landings were better. Maybe he was more focused than usual. I can definitely see that. Um, I, I did a couple of crosswind takeoffs where I forgot it was a crosswind until I took off. And <laughs> that, that's not the mistake you make when you are focused on, on getting everything right. But, right. um, and he said, um, he said, I wasn't perfect with my flows and checklists, but the desire to be professional helped me shake off the rust. And, and that's, that's also a way to put it. Um, you know, it, it it's, as Ben said, it's the time to use your checklist, right? These are the times that, that you are the dumbest and your checklist is how you keep that stupid away from your flying. And uh, some people use sims. Um, a lot of people talk about chair flying in there and I, those are your brain hasn't been in that, that headspace of I need to think about flying. What are those things I forgot? <laughs> you know, how do yeah. I do a, a departure briefing? I haven't done this in. Ninety days. And- well, I think that you know, as much as we talk about
0: the specific challenges of midlife pilots and people that are like us picking up flying later on in life, what I think is curious is we've identified so many things. Our reaction times are not as good. Our reflexes are not as good. Uh, you know, a lot of things are not as good. But one thing that I think is actually better is this while you're not flying kind of stuff, right? Like the, the, okay, how am I going to approach not having flown for a while? Um, how am I going to exercise my minimums and have governance and a clear path? Um, in a strange way, I think that midlife pilots, that might be one thing that we can kind of do maybe a little bit better than, uh, younger folks, because we have a, what do you call it? A frontal lobe or whatever. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, we can also just be thankful that none of us were flying when we were 21 because that would have been terrible. Uh, we we're obviously late bloomers for a reason, no? But um, but I just find it interesting. I think this is actually a, a an area where midlife pilots can excel
2: natively. You know, and you have to you have to recognize that um, flying breaks are going to happen. Um, I, I think yeah. that OG Chris Moran has has. Also showing us flying isn't always the most important thing in your life. Sometimes there are other things in your life. That's not me, but I, I think other people actually do have a life outside flying. Well, that's an interesting yeah. idea, I guess. But that's a and that's okay. We're not saying you must be flying every four days or go find a CFI, right? It, it's recognizing finding that balance. And what has your experience been? If you're younger hours and you haven't had this long of a break, what do you do? what we all, we all know ourselves I guess and pay attention to that
0: yeah you just um, you watch uh, YouTube videos to satiate yourself in, the, in your town time <laughs> or get on a sim or whatever it is you do or just try to tune it out entirely um, and uh, or you contact Nathan Ballard uh, our esteemed flight instructor uh, or sort of in residency yeah <laughs> Uh, let's uh, go ahead and read that he that's a
1: great point just having an accountability coach friend pilot when it comes to go no-go decisions just bouncing it off somebody else that knows what they're talking about that which is what brian and i do um i'm going to surprise him soon i'm going to be calling him the way he's progressing he's going to be my accountability coach love it yeah so yeah um we did have a new supporter, Ted. I don't know if you yeah, can give me a pull it up. Uh, It's Uh David muscardelli
0: Oh, that's right. He's a he's a longtime friend of the show. Yeah. David Muscardelli. And him? he's the one who uh had the unfortunate deer strike mm. not not terribly long ago, but uh, oh, I guess dear. it's been a little bit. And uh he's finally um I saw that he's finally getting the repairs underway and all that, but it was pretty... <laughs> pretty mess. He, he's got a very nice Dakota that did not like the deer. It's allergic to deers. Allergic to deers. And
1: that's what they say. Um, Want to remind everybody the merch store is back open. Uh, there'll be link in the show notes. Please email us your feedback. Midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com um give us a like, give us a follow. We would appreciate it very much. A five-star review would really go a long way. We'll read it on air.
2: And you can support the show 99 cents a month, 23 to 25 cents an episode depending on how you count. And uh that that helps fund uh Ben coming out here so we can be together. <laughs> I at 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 a dollar a month. Mm. We could do this once every three hundred years. Yes, <laughs> Or or less.
1: Um, it's, um it's four for games of frog. Are, I was gonna say for those that are contributing, this is I'm out on a work trip. Y'all are not paying for yeah. this trip. I just wanted you to know up front that uh no, that's uh just we we're able to coordinate this. Uh I had a great time with Ted today. I I really appreciate him taking a day out of his life to,
0: to drag me around. Yeah, it's fun. That's awesome. Um, and so Ben, how long are you there, and what else are you guys going to do? Well, I'll be going into um, my company rolls out new products and
1: services, and so I'll be going into training starting tomorrow evening, and um, I'll be leaving Friday. The flight departs at like 6:05 like super right. early um, and gets into Atlanta around two o'clock, which is better than me taking a 10 p.m. flight, getting in at 6 a.m. I just don't do those red eyes very well, I, especially it's a midlife thing, I guess. So, uh, no, Peter, I did not fly. There was a huge, I don't think I would have anyway, but there was a massive storm system in the middle of the country. And I would have had to leave like a, a week ago. To get <laughs> by today, so uh, I flew Delta.
0: uh it was great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's about to turn up over here. Uh, we've got winds coming in gusting 45, 50. And, um, I've been seeing around the local pilot groups, everybody talking about, uh, you know, checking your planes, double checking your tie downs, all that stuff. And I even saw somebody in there saying, Oh yeah, there was this plane at John tune, you know, <laughs> yeah, I got snapped right off. The last one of these that came through, you know, so, uh it if was your, just nice, uh, to, yeah. It was just nice to, uh, you know, be acknowledged. It, no, be but being um, in a now too, though, that feels really nice. I'll bet. Yeah. Oh, I would not, I would not be able to handle that stress very well right now. I, I don't think. Um, before we go, do we have anything uh, updates on the Midlife Pilot Podcast fly-in in Nashville, Tennessee, April twenty sixth through twenty eighth, two thousand. 24, the year of our Ben? We do have an update.
1: Uh, We have secured uh, three. um, we, We have secured the Midlife Pilot compound, as we're calling it. We've got three four bedroom, I guess they're townhomes, party houses. Party houses. We have an option for a fourth, it's a three bedroom if the demand is there um we'll be sending out communication uh probably via email and posting it on the website and I'll be better prepared for the next episode and and giving yeah. details it's going to be a first come first serve i would plan on uh what did we say it was between 170 to 200 a night yeah i think is the cost breakdown and you would have your own room we're not going to ask you to share a room with a stranger uh, because we're not young kids, we're not in college, <laughs> we are midlifers. Yeah. <laughs> um so we're we're excited about that. Um we've got a lot of options for you to do. Uh, we'll get together at least Saturday night if not every
0: night and um tell war stories. Should be a lot of fun. So the the website that details the event is going to be in the show notes. So yes. and if you guys are not paying attention Ted's show notes are a work of art every time. You can bring up one obscure reference and he will find uh the appropriate <laughs> oh, yeah. link um to be like, okay, here's the scene in Animal House or whatever it is. Like it's just <laughs> you know, it's it's always just this is when John Denver, you know, smashes the guy's guitar in the stairwell, you know. But um uh was I say John, John Denver? I'm sorry, John Belushi. I don't know why I said John Denver. So I was just yeah. thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and pilots, uh, RIP. So listen, um, we have a website, it'll be in the show notes. And the other thing to specify is in terms of lodging and all of that. Yes, we do have a midlife pilot compound and that is going to be kind of the epicenter of a lot of the activity because from the compound, you can walk to a lot of things. It's extremely close to the airport. Everything's, you know, super easy access. All that being said, um, we understand that a lot of people are going to be coming that are bringing their families along for maybe a, a weekend in Nashville that kind of is going to be dipping into this and doing a little bit of that and whatever. If you're needing a hotel, we got hotels we can recommend. Uh, And we have that on the site, find it in the show notes, but people are going to be staying elsewhere. It's not like we only have the spots for the, like, Like it, it, you can come if you're uh here, it doesn't matter where you're staying. I guess is the point.
2: And one of our one of our people in the in, in the live chat that I'll just call Bob because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna figure out how to spell the binary. Um asked uh if anyone needs ballast for the fly-in. And that is definitely the case. If you're if you want to fly in with someone else from somewhere, great. Uh there's certainly a mid uh Midwest contingent that's coming down. Uh there's an Atlanta group that's going up. Um, a couple of Atlanta groups going up. And there'll be planes on the ground. So if you do like what I'm doing, which is fly commercial into Nashville, we're going to bum rides with each other. That's, that's half of the fun. And that's, people have more fun with that. It seems in, in some cases. So I, uh, yeah. try each of those ways of doing it. So yeah.
0: Yes. And Ben will allow you to pay him to. Fly around like how much you're going to charge for rides? <laughs> you're, you're you're going to get me in trouble because I can't provide my own plane. Yeah. Oh no, of I'm course you have. You. No, I'm you're trying to
1: kick a, off my commercial career, and you're like trying to bury it before I ever get it off the ground. No, uh, this is
0: assuming you'd have your multi. You'd be you, this would be somebody's King Air that's a it, charter.
1: I, okay, yeah. So then I, I would do it for free if I got to that yeah. level. You yeah, just yeah. have to rent the airplane. Uh, I do have. I'm I'm fortunate to have uh, a couple of folks from the northeast fly into Atlanta. Uh, so my plane with the luggage and all is pretty much full. But I believe I'm not going to speak for AJ, but I have seen him in the past offer uh, uh, a seat or two. Um, it's uh, I don't know if they're booked or not. So I'm not going to speak for it. But anyway, Atlanta is a very easy city to fly into. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah. Let us know if you're interested. We'll try to find something, uh, a connection for you. Yeah, yeah if you have um,
0: any interest in coming to the Midlife Pilot Podcast fly-in April 26th through the 28th in Nashville, email us at midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com, and we will get you any information that you need or facilitate you getting here, staying here, being here, uh, or whatever. Um, it'll be a rain or shine bad weather good weather it doesn't matter i mean ted ted is flying the spruce goose and, <laughs> <laughs> and
2: um
0: and it's but, you yeah, know now we're, off it's yeah. boring, um it's but-
2: it's that's that comes under the new uh light sports light sport regulations <laughs> of mosaic yeah
0: four million pounds is <laughs> now light sport <laughs> Quite, yeah. a, quite the swing in ratings there and, and <laughs> potentials there, or licensure right, or whatever. Is
2: the, is the clean stall speed below Four. or above 54 knots? That's all I need to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, uh, ben, get us
1: out of here. Let's uh, closing out episode 57 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening and all the support. We really appreciate you and uh, signing off. Good night, everybody.